Gruesome Herzog, the voice of horror. to me very carefully. I need you to find Nicholas Matthews, who's a patient at the state hospital. The same night we went into that building, he escaped. He's already killed several people. And if I'm right, he's gonna kill many more. This is Gruesome Herzog. My very special guest tonight is director Chris R. Notarelli. Hey, how are you? Said it right. <laughs> how you doing, Chris? I'm peachy. How you doing, man? Great. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, as you know, I've told you on the phone that I reviewed Methodic. I've been really methodic about it. I love the film. I don't care what anybody says. I have a heckler who keeps heckling me about it. So. Uh, yeah. It's a shame that, uh, I mean, you know, I, I say it and I'll say it again. If you're going to review a movie, fine. Give me, like, a couple words, but not 21 paragraphs. But anyways. People have no lives, and uh, I feel bad for them, but, you know, hopefully one day they'll get a girlfriend. Yeah. yeah or a boyfriend. I can't, I can't, you know, I can't judge. <laughs> you're right. And uh, I'm a weirdo. I'm an old school yeah. 80s guy, so methodic it brings me back to the early 80s films. There's definitely something about Methodic that has that that familiarity of the of the decade and mm-hmm. the movies that came from it, and I really wanted to capture that as an it it feels it feels familiar like you're watching this and like you feel at home if you're a true horror fan. I feel so yeah that, that was kind of what I was going for. Right, and uh, I watched it actually three times <laughs> because it, it's amazing what you miss the first time you watch it. Yeah, that's another thing. A lot of people they they say the movie they see the movie and they say exactly what I expect them to say. They go, "Oh, it's a rip off of Halloween," or "How is it the Dominic can drive?" or "Why is this happening?" It's like just watch this second time and tell me what you think. And you go over it and you start realizing that there was because the other thing is why is it called methodic? There's nothing methodic about this killing. Are you sure? Right. Are you really sure. And then you watch it again and there is something there. Well, that's funny you mentioned that thing about the Halloween bit. That also was mentioned in an interview with Billy Pond. I said, you know what's amazing about people today? Every damn horror movie that's made that has a slasher with a mask. Halloween was not the only film that had a killer wearing a mask. Oh, so, no, and it wasn't the first either. Let's, let's give some props to Leatherface, who came out in 74. Exactly. You know, you know, look, think about this, Chris. How many movies have been made over the years that always has something from something? The thing is, there's nothing anymore that's original. It's a matter of taking your favorite things, throwing them in a blender, and hitting frappe and seeing what comes out of it. That's how you create originality. Right. Through creating the best of the best. And I admit wholeheartedly the inspiration that I drew from for Methodic, and they're not what you think they are. Yes, Halloween was one of them, the idea of a mass killer going after a family member and doing all kinds of fucked up shit. But no one really knows the other inspirations that came from Methodic, and that's Terminator. There's actually a lot of Terminator elements and Transformers elements to Methodic that no one knows. Uh, and they're derived from the rest of the story. Um, the way in which the Doll Man moves is more attributed to the T-1000 right. than Mike Myers. You can see how he runs, uh, how he touches things, how he moves with his hand. It's more, we, I really wanted to go for uh, the T-1000 more than Michael Myers, because Michael Myers just walks everywhere. I want my character to have a little bit more charisma. 
Then right. um, the Transformers element is actually the relationship between Brandon Slagle's character and Tony Danica's character, uh, 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 Colin McDermott and Dan Grant. There is a passing of power, if if you will, when Dan has the heart attack and he asks Brandon to take over. He gives him that gun. It's the, it's the passing of the Matrix of Power. Right. Right. And uh, now Rodimus Prime has to stop Unicron and then run the Autobots into the ground because he doesn't know how to lead anybody, but whatever. That's <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of true because he doesn't he doesn't save the day at the end. He, uh, uh, Colin McDermott is a default hero, but he's not the true hero. He, he's, he's just a regular guy. He fucks up, you know, and it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and then the third act, which I don't want to give away, is really what sets I feel the film apart from any of the other concepts exactly. that I was ripping off. I was just going to bring that up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say too much because people didn't see it, but the ending is different than, yeah. you know, people can I judge. Mean, I mean, the epilogue, of course, is a little predictable. The epilogue, of course, is, you know, evil never dies and it will always come back in some form. And, you know, everyone expects that, but, you know, uh, if you ever watched Last Action Hero, there was that saying, you know, you can't die, not until the grosses go down. And that's uh, essentially it. You're not going to kill off a character for the sake of killing. You're going to kill him off when no one wants to buy him anymore. So with the doll man and everything, same 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 thought process. But the third act is where I go completely left of center. And no matter what you think is going to happen, it doesn't. And I was very pleased with that. And I'm more pleased with the fact that nobody state has been able to watch this movie and then tell me that they knew what was going to happen verbatim what was going to happen next. Yep. Like, again, uh, Chris, I enjoyed that film, and I'm going to stick to it. Um, awesome. The next film that I actually watched on Sunday, that I had to see it because it has to do with Christmas and horror. And I'll say it, and I'll say it again. Axe Massacre, um, I thought it was cool as well. Um, I didn't rate it as high as I did for I Psycho, but it's still a good score. I mean, a good grade of what I gave Axe Massacre. Well, what you saw for Axe Massacre was actually a promo version of a feature script I had. Right. So you're not, you're seeing a really good part of the story, but you're not seeing the whole thing. When if you saw the whole story, you'd be like, oh, this is awesome. Like, right. There's so many more elements I wanted. I really wanted snow involved. I wanted, and the production value, of course, is a little lower because you know we didn't have any money. Right. Um, I did it in like one night, but um, the elements were there, and the elements are family drama and dynamics, Le- really legitimate family drama. I'm not talking about oh, so and so is fucking so and so. I'm talking about child custody battles. Yep. Talking about getting over an ex-wife, yep. moving into a house, all the all those real things that you hear at your dinner table when you're saying to yourself, God damn it, why did I come home for the holidays? <laughs> yeah. That's there, and then I just threw in a serial killer on top of it with a really cool outfit. And I thought it was cool. I mean, I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm, I understand what you said about, the, the, you know, what it was for. But when I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I'm a weirdo. I told you, Christmas yeah. and horror. You know, I don't, you know, short film, long. They go film. hand in hand. Okay, Christmas needs to be fucked up. Plain and simple. We need a really good Christmas horror movie. And I know people are going to say, what about Black Christmas or what about Silent Night, Deadly Night? And in all honesty, those films all have the same element. It's it's some crazy guy on Christmas. And, and like for the Silent Night, Deadly Night movies, he kills people because they're naughty. And he's in a Santa suit with a beard. He, he didn't. They never put any effort into the look of the killer. Okay, if you're going to do a fucking horror movie, especially on Christmas, put some effort into the design of your killer. Make him look badass. Don't just throw him in a Santa suit with a beard or have him in a pair of PJs or anything like that. Really make him look cool, you know? And what I really wanted to do with Axe Massacre was the Santa Slasher. I wanted him to look like a supervillain. Like, this is the kind of guy you'd see in a comic book. And then drag him onto reality. And then you've got a, a really cool idea big buff motherfucker with a scary ass mask and then a big axe and then all kinds of shit in his sack. You know what the hell he's carrying. And yeah. the worst part is why is he doing it? Who fucking cares? He's massacring a family on Christmas. It's cool. Right, right. Well, I'm going to do a shameless plug. I've been doing this forever for the last nine months. But you mentioned about a Christmas at horror. Um, there's a very, very 
fantastic film coming out next Tuesday. It's called Silent Night, Zombie Night. It's a <laughs> zombie apocalypse during Christmas. But there's a twist on this film. There's actually a love story amongst with it. Okay? Um, I saw this. Um, Sean Kane is the director. It's getting released next Tuesday, and you've got to check it out. I, w- I watched Zombieland, and then I watched this right after it. I got it in the mail. And my first words that came out of my mouth during the review was, it tops Zombieland. And I stick to it. So if you ever get a chance... That's because you don't have a stuttering virgin who's trying to get with Emma Stone. <laughs> well, maybe. But the storylines are different, obviously. But you, yeah. think about it. You cannot go wrong with a zombie apocalypse during Christmas. you got to see it. I never thought about that. I never thought about a zombie apocalypse during Christmas. I have thought of zombie apocalypse. I've thought of Christmas. Never the two together. So I have to say that's an impressive idea. A fantastic film. So check it out next week. It's coming out. Fantastic. Excellent. Now... I want to ask you about this now. Methodic 1.5. Now, I haven't seen it yet. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to check it out. What exactly is this about? Methodic 1.5 is basically um, something that I wanted to, to do to keep the the iron hot for, for the film. We, had, we were releasing... We had made Methodic back in 2007, and we finally got a DVD release in 2009. And basically, I wanted to throw a little something extra along the way. It's like, hey, by the way, the movie's still out there. Check it out. So we did uh, 1.5, which is supposed to be a short film sequel. And what it does is it takes place in between the thir- after the end of the third act and before the epilogue of the first movie. And there are uh, a couple of characters that were in the future that tie in. Uh, Roberto Lombardi's character, we have a little bit more explanation about um, his son and what happened. And we get to see a different side of the dollman. You see, one of the things about the dollman, which I made obvious at the beginning of the movie, is that he's a demon. It was very obvious that he's a demon, and he possesses you. It affects people differently. And so, whereas the first film was... Uh, in the first five minutes, the, the killer, the boy, instantly possessed, becomes a doll man. In this one, it was more like The Shining, where you have a gradual possession of the host and how it affects them and how they change until finally the doll man completely takes over and they go batshit. Okay. Yeah, I would check that out. Um, like I said, you have a bunch to watch, and I... If we talk about all... I have the, 162 <laughs> movies. If we talk about all these in here... Uh, it'll be like a three-hour interview, so I'm going to be yeah. know, skipping over some. But I have a lot to watch, and I will. The next one I want to talk about, um, in case there's some Punisher fans out there, um, Punisher 79 to 82 in 2010. And let's not forget the, the new series, which is Daredevil 83, which is part of the Retro Marvel series, in which Punisher does have a nice appearance. Well, go ahead. T- tell us about it. Okay, well basically, um, it started in uh, 2009, I was thinking to myself, I had, I was reading again, um, uh, uh, one of my favorite Punisher stories, which is Born, which is his Vietnam uh, run, and I had seen um, Warzone uh, the previous uh, summer, and I was just like, you know, when the hell are they going to make a good Punisher movie? You know, they, they, okay, it's like each there are three existing so far. There's the one with Dolph Lundgren, the one with Thomas Jane, and the one with Ray Stevenson. And each movie had uh, a really good element. Like the Dolph Lundgren movie, Dolph Lundgren made an awesome Punisher. It was a great time. It was a great vibe. It had, it was 80s. Right. He hit a fucking skull on his fucking shirt, and it was pointless. Why, why, how hard is that? Out of everything they do, they dyed Dolph Lundgren's hair black, for Christ's sake. Why couldn't they just paint a skull and a shirt? Is it that fucking hard? Yep. Then you watch the Thomas Jane one, and they destroyed it. That one was just terrible. The only good thing about it was the fight scene between him and the Russian. That was an awesome scene. And the scene with Harry Heck, another awesome scene. But Tom, John Travolta sunk that movie. The background story, the fact that he was some kind of like CIA agent, and then his whole family gets massacred, and then he's like... Oh my God! I have to become a raging alcoholic and kill people. <laughs> it didn't make sense. Yeah. 
But he had a pretty cool shirt. He, he had a pretty cool uh, a Punisher skull. Of course, the backstory and how he got it was retarded. And then um, you watch the Ray Stevenson one, and he's an amazing Punisher. He looks awesome. He sounds like the Punisher. He fights like the Punisher. He talks like the Punisher. He's killing like the Punisher. And then you have your supporting cast, which can't act for shit. You have uh, 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 the guy who plays Jigsaw. He's this British actor doing the worst, the worst Brooklyn accent I've ever heard or Long Island accent I've ever heard. I want to kill the Punisher. And it's just so insulting and bad. And then they shot the whole thing in Canada. There's nothing real or tangible about it. It doesn't feel like a New York movie. It feels like a bad comic book. And it was just too over the top. So right. I said, you know what? The Punisher was most... And I had this, this debate with somebody at one point. I said, you know, the Punisher was most relevant in the 80s. Because he's a Vietnam vet. You can't keep reinventing the character and saying... Oh, well, he was in the Vietnam War. Okay, now he was in the Persian Gulf War. Okay, now he's in the Iraqi War. It doesn't work like that. Right. Punisher came from Vietnam. You do not get more fucked up than Vietnam. I don't care what anybody says about what they've seen in Iraq or in the Persian Gulf, and I can probably get some heat for saying this, but I don't know if anybody coming back from the Persian Gulf or Iraqi War with a necklace of ears. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Hey. So, yeah. We all have our opinions, though. What? We all have our opinions. You know what I mean? I mean yeah. So, in my opinion, I, I think American soldiers had some of the most traumatic incidents happen to them in the Vietnam War, and I feel that it was one of the worst wars that we as a country endured versus, um, you know, I understand the Iraqi War is bad and the Persian Gulf War is bad, but I really feel that we as a country got dicked over and our, our soldiers got the most dicked over in Vietnam. And for a man like that, who not only did, and they said in the comic books he did three tours in Vietnam, for a man to willingly go through that, right. he's all got to be fucking insane. I said, you know what? You know what? They got it all wrong. The Punisher is a serial killer. The man is a sociopath. He likes murder. <laughs> in fact, he chose to go to war so he could have a war. And I took that concept and ran with it, and I said to myself, what if the Punisher wants to just kill people and needs an excuse. Yes, his family was brutally murdered, but you know, you kill one or two bad guys, that, that hole in your soul can fill up after a while. It it, it was just it was just an excuse. And when we did Punisher seventy nine, I wanted it to be in the most socially relevant time. I said nineteen seventy nine was the height of the punk revolution, um, yep. heroin, all that shit. And it's like that's when the world needed that kind of guy. That's right. when New York needed that kind of guy. And I wanted to make this really gritty, gritty story. Plus, the thing was, I didn't want to go all out and have Punisher just murdering people. I kind of wanted to take him out of his element. And in the first film, he's tied up the whole goddamn time. And he's using, he's just a complete... And also, I hate a politically correct Punisher. <laughs> you cannot be politically correct if you are Frank Castle. You right. have to be able to call someone a faggot. You have to be able to, to, to say hippie bullshit, yuppies, uh, cocksuckers, say whatever the fuck you want and get away with it, because that's the kind of guy he is. Yep. So we did the story, and it was him in a chair dealing with Jigsaw of all characters, because I felt Jigsaw was poorly portrayed in the future film, and all he's doing is verbally harassing him the whole goddamn time, and it's hysterical. It's hysterical. He's just calling him Leatherface, and he's making fun of his complexion, saying, I cut myself shaving once, too. I've been using an electric razor ever since. It's just, he's just such a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. He is the most, Punisher is the most lovable asshole you'll ever meet. And we put the movie out, and put it on YouTube, and people liked it a lot. They really liked the direction in which I went with the character in terms of making him uh, a period piece rather than a, uh, a modern character. So they said, can you do a second one? And a third one, and a fourth one. So I said, yeah, fine, why not? So I started doing series. Interesting. Yeah, I will mm -hmm. check that out. I just want to get a chance to see it. The, the next one, um, Mr. J. Now, i got to say one thing. Kim Santiago, I think, is a fantastic actress. I mean, she was excellent in iPsycho, which we'll get to that later on. Mm -hmm. But, Mr. J, go ahead and tell the listeners. I mean, obviously, again, um, you can mention the website where they, where they can check these out. Go ahead. 
you can check everything out at uh, blinky-productions.com, which is my website. You go on there and you click films, and you can see um, all kinds of genres. We have action, horror, uh, dr- uh, uh, comedy, and superhero. So take your pick and just watch something. Now you mentioned the superhero, Mr. J. Yes. I have not watched it yet, but I will be. But go ahead and give the listeners an idea of what Mr. J is about. I mean, you know. Mr. J is um, a spin off sequel which takes place after The Dark Knight. The storyline was uh, if you've seen The Dark Knight, the movie ends, or the Joker's story ends with him basically getting taken in by the cops. And he ultimately is going to, you know, go to jail or go to Arkham Asylum. And if anyone knows comic continuity, while in Arkham Asylum, his doctor, Dr. Harleen Quinzel, ends up falling for him, and he converts her into his clown girl sidekick, Harley Quinn. We wanted to do a story uh, about that, how it would take place in the Nolan universe, and how, if there were to be a sequel, how Harley Quinn could come into play. So we created our own story, and we did Call Me Mr. J, which is part one. And in that one, it's basically a... Uh, it's, a con- it's the taped sessions between Harley and Joker where she is trying to break him. And we show three sessions, three out of five. And the first one, she's stern, she's herself. And he, little by little, is peeling back her layers, saying, we're alike, we're reading the same book, I'm one chapter ahead, but I'll make you better, I'll catch you up, I'll turn you into what you really are. Until finally, she falls for this guy and he has you completely under his control. It's a, the story is about manipulation. And and then we did part two, where uh, it was called Anything You Say, Mr. J, because that's her famous line, with Anything You Say, Mr. J. So that's the last line of the first movie, and it's the title of the second movie, where he convinces her to kill her boss for him and admit her love, in which she does. And it's just, it's each each episode basically proves how enamored she is with this crazy motherfucker, how sick and twisted that he is that he can control someone like that, and how far she's willing to go for him. And then part three is uh, Well Done, Mr. J, and it's basically the uh, him revealing his plans, which would have ultimately led into what I wanted to be a third Batman movie. I thought, how cool would it be if the movie, if Dark Knight ends with all of Gotham hating Batman and accusing him and, and, uh, of killing Harvey Dent and all that shit. What better way for Joker to uh, 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 do anything but then to make Batman useful again? Right. And his plan was, I'm going to make people believe in Batman just so I can smash their hopes and make them hate him again. Because <laughs> Harley even says, like, but wait, if Batman's a bad guy, isn't that a good thing? And he's like, you know, under any other circumstance, I would say yes, but not now. And he explains why. And he doesn't like the idea. It, it, it sickens him to his stomach that Batman is associated with him as a bad guy. He doesn't like being lumped in like that. Uh-huh. That one I'll check out as we, well. We have a, a cliffhanger which leads into part four and five. The cliffhanger is uh, after he reveals his master plan, Holly says, how are you planning on pulling that off? And that's when he says he's going to call in reinforcements. And that's when we have cameos of several other famous Gotham rogues. And uh, every and that was supposed to be like the end of the series. Only three parts. And everyone's like, "No, you can't do that. You can't. You can't. You can't show us these, this cliffhanger with these these extra characters. You have to do more." <laughs> so a year went by. A, year, a whole year went by, and actually, um, I grew my hair out for this, because when we did this, I was wearing a wig, and I hated the wig, but I said, if I'm doing this again, I'm going to grow my hair out, because I want to be able to move, and I go, we need action, and we did part four, which is sincerely mistake, there was action. I had long hair, I'd grown down to my chin, and basically, Joker and Holly go on a killing spree, and I massacre, like, eight people in 30 seconds. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's awesome, and but... The way the movie was cut together and the stories were told involving the additional characters, uh, it's almost like you could see Joker's plan in action. And the plan, of course, is to eliminate 
anybody who does not agree with him in the Gotham underworld so that he reigns supreme. So it's like an assassination of other other mob bosses. Okay. Yeah. So like a couple of other famous characters kind of get whacked along the way while Joker, of course, is doing his part of the deal. And then part five, which is called Die Laughing, we introduced uh, what I viewed uh, Christopher Nolan's Superman to be. Okay. Yeah, I have a lot to watch. You do. <laughs> but um, the next one I already mentioned earlier that I just can't seem to get out of my head. But I'm going to read the plot line um, from the good old IMDB for the listeners. Well, if I, I'll, let me read the plot line for you because I'm going to give you my movie voice. My movie voice is pretty funny. All right, go ahead. I, I, hang on, I have to open that really quickly. I've read this before and it sounds funnier. All right. <clears throat> Cat Vicious is a rising shock jock podcast DJ with a nihilistic on-air personality who spends most of her show mocking and belittling her listeners. But when a mysterious caller pirates her frequency, things take a turn for the terrifying as Cat ultimately realizes that her beloved radio station might soon become her tomb. Can she survive the night or will this be her last broadcast? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> That's how you have to live your life. If anybody was ever to write a story about you, if you cannot imagine that story being read by the ghost of Don LaFontaine, it's not a good story. Well, one thing I will say, when I read that part about Shock Jock Podcast DJ, there's one yeah. person that I'm not going to mention no name, should actually watch this film, because when he pulls the stunts that he does, you know, when you mockery people or you make slander people, mm-hmm. he might want to watch this film. But I Psycho was fantastic. Um, it's a short film, but you know this thing could easily be a full a full length feature. I was planning on developing it. That is something that I, w- I would like to do a little further down the line. Um, the reason why we made it was because I had the idea on hand, and I said, um, I remember I was just uh, watching commercials on TV, and I'd see all these posters and. Ever, and you know how they have their iPod and shit. There's an app for that. There's an app for that. And I said to myself, well, there's like an app for like a serial killer. You know, it's like, oh, there's an app for that too. And then I said, uh, and I wanted to. I, I was, what was I doing? I like. I, I was watching Psycho, and I said, you know, there's never going to be another cool movie with Psycho in the title that isn't like, you know, used. I want right. to be able to try and do something with the, with Psycho. I want. I want a, a movie with Psycho in it. And I'm like, what about I Psycho? And I, I said, I Psycho, because I, I remember I Madman, and um, a couple of other movies with like I, but it was I comma something. Right. And then there was a movie that came out uh, a couple of years ago called I Murders, which was supposed to be like a digital movie um, about a serial killer and like you know the internet. And I said, what if I took that gimmick and I did the gimmick of this serial killer, but I wanted him to be techno savvy. And I, I said, I'm going to call him I Psycho. And I, I like the, the tagline, which is, of course, there's an for that. <laughs> and the development is, okay, what the hell can an I Psycho do terrorize a person? And then I remembered the movie When a Stranger Calls. I'm like, how can I modernize that? And because I, I like the idea of, you know, the, the call is coming from inside the house. What if we know that from the get-go? Or, or what if we, we, we think or that it might be or it might not be? So... I then um, said to myself, who deserves to get bullied or terrified by a killer the most? And I go, probably an asshole. What kind of assholes are out there deserve that shit that are involved with technology? DJs, podcasters. And that's where the idea kind of developed from there. So I said, I want to screw up a podcaster's night. Oh, you know what? She was... That's Kim Santiago, by the way. She played Cat Vicious. I mean, she's a fantastic actress. I'll say it again. She was fantastic in here. But In that role, it was definitely one of the most natural roles uh, of her life, I have to say. She slipped right into being a nice, loudmouth, foul-mouthed asshole. <laughs> and she was, I mean, <laughs> the, the uh, killer himself, I thought, had a, a cool mask, a cool vibe to him. Um, well, there's a couple of cool things uh, about it. First off, I voiced I cycle. So that was my voice, but I didn't right. play him physically. Right. Um, I, uh, in fact, I, I dubbed 
the guy when he walked into the last scene, and the guy who played the Eye Psycho, he was the first caller. <laughs> so he's the one who called in. He goes, "Are you single?" That was his voice. Right. He didn't. Have, he doesn't have a real menacing voice, but I kind of do. So I, I, I did my voice. I did some voice modification to it, and made myself sound all kind of creepy and everything like that. But um, the uh, the mask is actually a George Washington mask. Oh, yeah. I got a, a, a George Washington party mask from a store. I cut off the hair uh, uh, shape. So it was all plastic. I cut off the, the, the hairline, right. and then I painted it white. And I'm like, this looks pretty creepy. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember that one line in the movie. Um, what does he say? Um, it's, your best inter- it's your best interest not to hang up on me anymore. Or something oh like yeah! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the line after you hang up on me again, they'll be cleaning you up with a mop. Yes, you know people got that, s- that is the worst. That is the scariest thing to say to somebody. Like I don't even know what the hell that, that means, but okay. But uh, that's one that everybody needs to see. Um, it's one of my favorites that you've done. That I, I think watched. it's just one of my more original ideas uh, uh, in terms of you know. It's taking a, a, a genre that's already been exploited and kind of putting a fresh spin on it, I feel, right. with the podcasting and with having a techno-savvy killer, as opposed to just some dude who's stalking a girl in a house, a babysitter, or a bunch of teen friends. It's always a bunch of, you know, hot, horny co-eds who manage to get attacked by a, a killer. This right. one, it's like, well, they're working. They're not, like, out partying. They're fucking working, and this dude is coming at them because of his own moralistic integrity. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, now the the next one I haven't seen yet, but uh, we share a friendship with the same gentleman that's in it. Um, I've uh, seen I've seen this posted. Um, kill or be killed, Mister um, mm-hmm. Andrew Roth, my brother from another mother. Go ahead and give listeners an idea of what this is about. Well, this is actually the remake. Um, I had in 2005. I had done Killer Be Killed uh, with uh, two other actors with uh, some older technology. I had a Canon at the time. It was about a hitman who is forced to sit down and um, have dinner with the guy he's supposed to kill. And I'm like, how fucking awkward would that be? That you're supposed to literally eat and get to socialize with someone you have to kill. How do you play that one out? So we did the movie. And I said to myself, you know, I can easily do this, you know, straightforward and have people not give a shit and just see a bunch of talking heads. Or I could pretend to be an artsy-fartsy, you know, dude and do it in a foreign language. <laughs> just just for the sake of saying I did it. Right. Foreign film done by an American, just on purpose. So I'm like, I could even... And, and also with the dialogue, they're forced to hear the movie out because now they got to read the goddamn thing or else they're going to miss stuff. So... We did the first one in 2005. I had uh, a Japanese and a Chinese actor because I couldn't find two of each. So one speaking Japanese, one speaking Chinese, and they're apparently understanding each other. I mean, how if, if Han Solo can understand, <laughs> then <laughs> or Luke Skywalker can understand a couple of fucking beeps, I'm very sure a, a Mandarin and a Chinese guy can understand each other. But that's that's the moot point. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> I made the movie, and um, unfortunately, uh, after I when, while I was editing the movie, I used music that I did not own. And, you know, years went by, and I never thought twice about it. But I realized, hey, I kind of want to screen this or sell this, but I can't because I don't own the copyright to the music. And I was thinking, maybe I should remake it, you know? It was a really good script. Let me try it again. I'm like, well, if I'm going to do it again, I'm not going to do it in a foreign language. I'm going to do it in English. Right. So... I decided to remake the movie this time with original music and with in in, in English and um, I cast Andrew Roth and I cast um, Roberto Lombardi as the two characters. Although this time there is a, a shifting of focus on the characters. In the first version, the focus was on the guy who was going to be killed, which is now Roberto's character. And we followed his story and saw what he was all about. And I go, I'm not going to you know completely retrace my steps. So this time, I shifted the focus over to Andrew's character, the hitman, and we find out more about him and what happens to him at the end of the story. So if you watch both films, you basically get to see 
the same movie from a different perspective. You know, it's okay. kind of it's kind of cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I have yet to watch that one. Like I said, I got so many to watch, but that's on my list. So it, it's, a, it's a good little drama. It's something that you can sit there, you can identify with, and you feel for these guys and, and what they're going through because each one has something on their mind, and you know. Uh, obviously, it, 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 it just watch the goddamn thing. I'm not doing myself any justice here. Yeah. <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I will watch the damn thing. Awesome. <laughs> Next one, um, I guess you call them um, prequels or however you say it. The killer prequels, yes. Well, the first one, I think it's a prequel. I'm sure it is. It might not, I could be wrong. Halloween season in 2010. No, that's a non-canon movie. We did that for the hell of it. But go ahead, talk about it. Halloween season. Halloween season. Um, I had uh, I had not done a horror fan film for a while, and um, someone had contacted me, uh, Brandon Rhymes, and he had said, you know, I'm a real big fan. Would you ever consider doing another horror fan film? I'm like, oh, no, I haven't done one for a while. I'm kind of focusing on the original stuff. He goes, well. What if I... He goes, well, I didn't like your, your Resurrection Mask. Goes, well, tough shit. I don't have a better one. He goes, what if I got you one? Would you do one then? I'm like, you're going to get me a better mask? He goes, yeah, I can get you, like, a, a replica of an H1 mask. I go, all right, now we're talking. Send me the mask. And he sent the mask, and he gave me some cash to do it as well. And uh, and I had the people invest in the movie also. And we ended up making the movie. And it was... What I said was, I don't want to just do... A traditional Michael Myers is 50-something years old and he's going after another relative or he, I'm remaking the first film or something like that. I don't want to do that. It's boring, it's dull, it's been done to death. I said, okay, if I'm going to do a movie, I want it to be uh, fresh. So I said, this is non-canon. This has nothing to do with any of the previous movies. This is Michael Myers completely in an, in an autonomous fashion. So... I, the only continuity or history I have is that Haddonfield has not had a Halloween since 1998. Like the last time, or 2002, that's like the last time they had a fucking Halloween. And um, I set it up that Michael is, and I, I wanted to go a little more realistically on this, Michael is a thrill killer, I, I said. He kills and he stalks. He likes the idea of hunting. And I said, if he's going to go that far, he's going to hunt and kill his prey, the guy has to have a favorite kill. And I would assume his favorite kill is his first kill. And that's the slaying of Judith. And he tried to recreate that. He recreated it with Annie in, in, in Halloween, one where she's lying on the bed with the, uh, the Judith tomb. He, he tried to make it look like that. And uh, in several other sequels, I think, he might have recreated it. Oh, in part six, they kind of sort of recreated it. So for this one, I want him to specifically single out a girl who looked like Judith that he would stalk, become infatuated with, and then try and kill her in the same fashion. Of course, the story takes its own turn. But yeah, that's basically it. Michael's trying to recreate his first kill. Yeah, that one would check out eventually. Um mm -hmm. Nightmare Ends on Halloween 2, 2011. Okay. Go ahead. Now, this looks very well, we interesting. Have, well, we haven't made it yet. We're uh, going to start filming that in the next couple of weeks. That is the sequel to um, the first one, which came out in 2004. Uh, in the first movie, I shot that back on home video. That was my first fan film ever. And basically, um, kind of a sequel to Freddy vs. Jason, in which... Um, Freddy is now in limbo after being killed in the real world and he's now fed up with Jason he's trying to find somebody to do his business and he tries to convince Michael to kill for him and well Michael doesn't give a shit and it doesn't work out in uh, in Freddy's favor so ultimately um, in the first film it's Freddy versus Michael and then you find out that there's some additional wonderful cameos by mm -hmm. uh, Jason Leatherface and Pinhead in which they come in and uh to find out that Pinhead's fucking furious. Uh, apparently, um, Pinhead had given Freddy his powers because Pinhead is like the general of hell. So he didn't personally do it, but, you know, if you, anything that goes through hell goes through Pinhead. He is the warden, the general. You don't fuck with the general. And um, he has called in all these extra killers 
to destroy Freddy, and we're going to tear your soul apart. Now, the movie ends with everybody circling him, and you just hear Freddy scream. You don't really see anything. So, seven years go by, and I decide, you know what, fuck it, I'll make a sequel. And now we're doing part two, in which I actually get to show people what I didn't show, and that is Freddy fighting everybody. And it's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be the battle royale that I never showed you. I, I blue balled the one. Nice. Yeah. I think we're at like like six hundred thousand views. So I, I blue balled six hundred thousand people. I'm really sorry, guys. I'm really sorry. <laughs> well, the next one um, I'm going to watch. They're coming up. Kruger, a tale from Kruger. Elm Street in 2011. Yes. Kruger is a uh, a prequel. Uh, it's part of my killer prequel web series in which you have... Um, it, I, I turn the first film of each franchise, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, into sequels. And in Kruger, I give a backstory as to why Freddy is infatuated with Nancy Thompson and why he ends up going to 1428 Elm Street. Now, I understand in the sequels they allude that it was his house, but it was never an intention of the first film. I wanted to um, uh, shed some more light on that, and I, I did it, and they, they said that in the first film, that um, it's the parents who did it, and, you know, the Thompsons were obviously the people who were in charge of part of the lynching, as well as the other children, so I wanted to say that Donald Thompson is the one who basically incited the riot, like he even ends up saying at the end of the movie, I will, I will set you on fire myself, it will burn. Wow. So, yep. there's Vendetta. There's Vendetta. I'm kind of psyched to see these. It's up. pretty cool. It's, it's a living Freddy Krueger. He's not dead yet. He's still alive. And it's just Freddy in an interrogation room being a complete and utter asshole. Like, I actually also, I wanted to um, show what I viewed Freddy to always be. Freddy is a ch- uh, child murderer, a rapist, and a pedophile. And... A lot of people kind of skate and dance around that fact. Some people say, no, he was just a molester. No, he was just a killer. No, he didn't do this. Like, you know what? Screw you. He did those things. Uh, why else would he be obsessed with little boys and little girls? Did they even say it in Freddy vs. Jason? He likes children, especially girls. And, like, he, you know, he goes after children. Right. So I wanted to uh, uh, give reasons to why else would you go after children? You're a fucking pedophile, you dick. <laughs> Who well, kills kids? Pedophiles. Yeah. Well, the, next... the Ramses. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the, ne- the next one is called Voorhees, Born on Friday. I'm going to see born this Born on a Friday. Yeah. Uh, on the, on a Friday. That's, yes, that is the, uh, it's the second part of the series. That now goes into um, Jason's backstory and his mom and how she deals with um, his death in 1957. Uh, and basically it is it gives explanation as to where her split personality comes from because if you watch Friday the 13th she has a split personality yep and I wanted to explain where the Jason personality came from as a, and it's not supernatural in the least there is no supernaturality in this story it's just uh, a one one mother who took things a little too far and um, I uh, basically said that even though the two counselors that got killed in the first movie got killed, there's a third one. I made up a third counselor. I said that uh, there was some kind of, like, caretaker girl who was supposed to be watching Jason and because she was fucking her boyfriend and the other two were fucking that nobody, you know, watched Jason and then he drowned. Interesting. I gotta check these yeah. out. The next one is Myers, Rise of the Boogeyman. Yep. Myers is, uh, it takes place 10 minutes before the beginning of Halloween. And in that one, what I wanted to do was to show the relationship between Michael and Judith before he became a killer. Because you don't just have a child and grows up for six years being autonomous, and quiet, lethargic, and crazy without reporting it, you know. Like, Michael was a normal child at one point who went crazy. I want to show him going crazy for a reason, and I give a brief explanation without over-explaining it like in the remake. He's not an abused child. He was actually a healthy, happy kid, trick-or-treating, with a sister whom he had a really great relationship with, which I feel adds a new dimension to the mythology. 
it's more than just she's just some dumb bimbo who's um, who's fucking. Now it's oh my god, she really loves him and he really loved her and he just killed his sister. Oh god, I really feel bad for her. Now she's dead. So I wanted to uh, make the audience actually sympathize for Judith and for Michael versus in the remake. Oh, uh, Judith was just a, a incestuous whore and um, uh, her uncle daddy was a complete dick and the mommy was a stripper and the dancing of Freebird. Oh, feel bad, feel bad, feel bad. No, 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 no. I really wanted to actually make people like Judith and really think that, oh, I went to school with a girl like that. Right, right. The best way, in my opinion, to tell any story and to humanize a character is to make them likable. Once you make someone likable, you can do the most horrific thing to them and you get the best desired response from somebody, and that's always empathy. Okay. Yeah. I got to check these out. I'm psyched. Um, the next one I've seen, um, it posted on Facebook, if I'm mistaken, Choice in 2011. Yes, Choice was, um, that was a big story. That is um, about suicide and my viewpoint on it and how, the promise of fame can actually affect people to make the wrong decisions in life. You know, what is posthumous fame good for? It's good for nothing because you're dead. Mm-hmm. And basically, life is not just about the black and the white, A or B, that sometimes, you know, there, there's more out there and how it's a test. So if you can survive that test, you deserve to live, in my opinion. And that's what choice is really about. Okay, I will check that one out. It's a very deep movie. There's, there, there. It's taken. And the other thing is, it's not preachy. I did not make this movie to be preachy. I didn't make this movie to um, have people say, "Wow, Chris is really firm about this." It's just something that makes you sit back and think about what's going on in your world, and it helps you assess where you are in your life. Okay. All right. Now you have some projects that I noticed that uh, we have one here um, standoff in 2011 that's not done yet correct or is it completed um, almost done we're close it's my second feature film my follow up to Methodic um, it's basically a crime thriller about um, uh, 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 four women in a Mexican standoff and it's pretty cool we're, uh, we're working on that now we're developing it and um, we need to just find distribution for the product and All right. distribute it, and it'll be on DVD, and everyone can watch it. It looks interesting. It's going to be cool. It's kind of like Reservoir Dogs with hot chicks. Okay. The best way to, to go about it. Interesting. And yeah, of course, you have the the lovely, talented. You know who I'm going to say, right? Kim. Well, Santiago. actually, I would prefer you to say Mandy Evans because uh, Mandy owns that movie. Uh, in my opinion, uh, uh, I mean, with much respect to everybody else in the film, uh, there's a character that Mandy plays in this movie called Fox, and the things that she does with the character are on par with Heath Ledger. Oh wow! That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say about that. Well, I'll mention them. You got Mandy Evans, Kim Santiago, you got Carrie Miller, Ella and Jane, Ella Jane too. Yep, Casey Williams, and that mm-hmm. feisty Tony Dedica. <laughs> Tony has a nice little cameo. In fact, he actually plays the same character from Methodic. Yep, Dan Grant. Mm-hmm. I wanted to uh, do a little tie-in. There's a, an, if you've seen Methodic and you watch Stand Up, you, there's a big um, uh, uh, cameo for the movie Methodic itself. It's very cute and very funny, and it makes total sense. Nice. I will check that out in the future. In the future, yes. Is there anything else that you have brewing or you want to talk about? I'm sure. Um, well, we're going to be doing a couple of things. As I had mentioned earlier, uh, Daredevil 83 is just finished and is now online on my YouTube channel and my website. My website is blinky-productions.com and my YouTube channel is blinky500. Um, and we're going to then be doing uh, Captain America 84, Moon Knight 85, and Wolverine 86. Those are on my list of things to do, along with the Nightmare Ends and Halloween 2. Nice. Yeah, you know, I think you're probably one of the first people that I've came across that has a lot of short films that 
they're cool. I mean, you, you have your own twist on everything. And people you have to see again. I Psycho. I mean, he, he has a lot of good stuff. Um, but I Psycho, you watch that and you let me know what you think because there's just something about it that. Oh, see, I'm a podcaster, so I think that's one of the reasons why it kind of attracts me to it. Um, mm-hmm. But I love the storyline and the ending was crazy. That was not expected. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, it was it was definitely a, a, a fun fun ending. I think. Fantastic. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, you have a lot, a lot of great stuff, and uh, you're a busy guy. I can tell you that. I mean, short films. People say, "Oh, it don't take that long to make short films." Well, you have to have the talent and the ability to be able to put stories. I do my short films in a day. Yeah, well, you wouldn't know it from the work that I see. But that is that is one of my trade secrets. <laughs> <laughs> But listeners, I will say, check out Methodic. Um, we talked about it earlier. I reviewed it. I loved it. Um, and there's a heckler we talked about earlier, but ignore him. Um, He'll catch his one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> but the Dom Man character, the, well, I shouldn't say character, but the Dom Man script story is so unique and different. Um, the ending is quite different than you ever see. In any form of a slasher, smasher film, um, I recommend you guys checking it out. I mean, I liked it. You know, just look for it, buy it, check it out. It's well worth a watch. But Chris, I thank you very much for coming on today. Um, hopefully, now you'll get some traffic to your uh, site to check out these short films. There's a lot That'd of good ones. That'd be awesome. But um, I have a lot to catch up on. You know, but uh, I will definitely call me back and let me know what you think when you're done with all that stuff. I'll see you in like a week. (laughs) (laughs) That's about right, a week. But uh, a lot of good stuff. Um, All right, well, you have yourself a good one, Scott. Thanks for bringing me. No problem, Chris. Thanks for coming on and uh, stay in touch. I will. Take Take, care. Take care. Bye. Gruesome Herzog, the voice of horror. Do you like horror? Well, I do. So tune in to. Gruesome Hurts Eyes. Hard movie.